know what these things are? Cookie cutters. You think God uses cookie cutters? What do you think? No. You don't think so. Okay. You know, each of us... Hey, Luke, you sit on the other side of your brother. Or brother. You sit on the other side of your cousin over here. Here, over here. That's it. Very good. Here we go. Good job. Okay. Now, the Bible tells us, listen to this. I will praise you. This is prayer to God. I will praise you because I am wonderfully made. Now, let's think for a moment about the stars. Do you think there are any two stars that are the same? What do you think? Uh-uh. He said, uh-uh, so I'm going with him, okay? You know, there are billions and billions and billions of stars, and not one of them is the same. How about trees? Are tree, is there any, are there any two trees that are the same? You know, we might look at them and we might think, boy, they really look like the same, but they're different. They're all different. Now, look outside. What do we see out there blowing around? Snow. <clears throat> Are there any two snowflakes the same? No. You, you ever see a program on TV where they magnify a snowflake and they let you see what it looks like? It's beautiful. But, you know, there aren't any two snowflakes the same. And, and look out there, and this is just one part of the world. There are billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of snowflakes that fall, and we've had all of them. <laughs> but there aren't any two snowflakes the same. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Now, what about people? What do you think? Are, yeah, green people. Do you, are, there, are there any two people the same? No, just look to your left, all of you. Look to your left. Well, you can look to your right. Okay, now, look to your right. Look at the person next to you. We're all different. Not one of you has a nose as big as I do. You know, we're all different. So, you know, sometimes, how many of you have ever made, how many of you ever made cookies with cookie cutters? You ever done that? And you know, when you use a cookie cutter, most of the time, the, the cookies come out all looking alike. Don't they? But that's not what happens with us. We are all different. And there are billions and billions of people that have lived and are living and will live. And not two, any two people are the same. The Bible says, you are wonderfully made. And so we need to thank God for that. That you are, here's a, here's a different word for you maybe, unique. And that means one of a kind. There's not one person who is like this guy. I guarantee you. There's not one person who is the same. No one. So let's thank God for the way he's made us 
and that we can know him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you created us and that we are wonderfully made. Help us to understand, Lord, that you created us, that we are very special, and may we show you our love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, gang. Now, some of you may be aware, some of you may not be aware of the fact that today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And with the approval and and the blessing of the leadership team, uh, Hope and I are going to, together, uh, share some biblical perspective about the sanctity of human life. There will be a number of... uh, churches and Christian organizations that will be remembering and celebrating, as it were, the sanctity of human life today and some probably earlier this week and some later this week. But in our time together this morning, we're going to consider together hope from one perspective and I from another, what the Word of God and what our society has to say about the sanctity of Human Life Sunday. So Hope is going to begin, and I'll take over after she shares. I had the wonderful privilege of directing a pregnancy care center back in Geneva, New York. Um, I started in the fall of 1994 and served the Lord there for 12 years. Uh, Geneva was a college town. It was smaller than Adrian, but we had one of the most prestigious colleges in all of New York State. The Lord um, led me there after um, I finished teaching at Interlaken Christian School. And he opened that door, and I had no idea what it meant to lead a pregnancy care center. I had no idea, really, the magnitude of abortion, the sanctity of life, who God was going to bring through our doors. Um, All I know is that God was working mightily in that city. I can know that the abortion rate in New York State is very high. We are probably the second highest state. California is the first. And New York State is one of your most liberal states as far as how they view the sanctity of life. We had a very high rate in Ontario County. That's where we were located because of the prestigious college that was there. We had several doctors that performed abortions as well. So we were really stepping out on faith to begin a ministry that was there to help women who were facing an unplanned pregnancy. The 
our goals, our desires, were to love these girls no matter what their choice was. You know, our, our songs today on grace fit really well. Every time that door opened, we had no clue what their thoughts were. But our desire was to show them unconditional love and support. We wanted to communicate with them what abortion did, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Most of the women have no idea what they're in for once they think that's their only choice and they walk through those doors with it. I can remember the very first client I ever had. She was from Hobart William Smith, our prestigious college. She had full scholarship. She had her goals and her life planned. It did not include a baby. That's almost 20 years ago. I know for sure that she went through with her abortion. And I've always wondered, how is she doing now? We did our best to communicate with her what was going on, what would go on, the stage of the development of the baby, to hopefully have her realize and grasp that nurturing spirit that every woman in America and throughout the world has. Our ultimate desire was to present to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We wanted them to become his child. We knew he ultimately was the only one that could really help them carry that baby to term. So as a pastor's wife, I did not have the contact with unsaved people as you do. And so I worked in a Christian school, I ministered in our church, and most of the people we saw were saved. That was one reason why Len and I started going to this restaurant near us called Nicastro's. And the village inn in Morenci reminds us so much of Nicastro's. But we would go there to meet people that did not know the Lord. So when this opportunity presented itself, I knew that I would meet women, the majority of whom did not know Christ. That was exciting. That was what our desire was, in every possible way, to lead them to a saving knowledge of him. What joy it was when we were able to see someone put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Especially someone who was abortion-minded, and she placed her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And those who were not abortion-minded put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What a joy it was. My heart 
has always been for those who have already gone through abortion. You know, those who are pro-choice will tell a girl, this is what you can do. Go for it. But when that same girl goes back and says, I'm having trouble sleeping, I'm having trouble dealing with this, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. It has been stated that one out of four women who sit in our pews have had an abortion. If any place should be a healing place, it should be our churches. Where we can wrap our arms around them and tell them God loves them. God has forgiven them. They do not need us to judge them. They are already doing that and doing a good job. I'll never forget 1997. In the fall, we had our first banquet as a fundraiser. And about a week later, I got a letter in the mail. And this gal had been to our banquet, and she began to explain to me her experience of an abortion. She had it in Florida several years before, and she was six months along. Now let me tell you, abortion is legal throughout the entire nine months. Because the same day that Roe v. Wade came down, they also decreed and, and redefined the health of the mother. The health of the mother can now include distress, her physical age, emotional distress. So all she has to do is go to her doctor, say, carrying this baby to term is causing me emotional distress. And she's allowed to terminate her pregnancy. She explained to me all that she had gone through. And we were starting a post-abortion Bible study, so I wanted her to come. And I contacted her, and all of a sudden, contact stopped. She didn't want anything more to do with me. So I just began to pray. She wasn't ready. It was probably three or four years later, my phone went off, and who was it but this lady? She said, are you still doing the post-abortion studies? I said, we sure are. She said, I need to come. So we had one really in the works, planned. She came. I wanted to hug her so tight.
I knew the pain. She must be suffering. She, one of the things we asked them to do was draw your heart. She drew a picture of her heart wrapped with a chain and chains and chains with padlocks. She could not let anybody in. I'll never forget the breakthrough. When she sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and she experienced God's forgiveness, that is a joy I will never forget. What a privilege to see that lady healed. We would love to see abortion overturned, but it's not going to come through legislation. It's going to come through ladies and men, men experience it as well. When they speak out and are healed and let people know this is this is what happens to you. That's when we'll see it changed. We're real good at uh, voicing our opinions. But how much do we pray for God to turn this nation around? Your little insert says, since Roe v. Wade, 54 million children have lost their lives. Whole generation. Around 3,000 per day lose their lives. Now, I went on the website, and you guys in Michigan keep your stats pretty current. In 2012, Michigan reported 22,699 abortions. That's 22,699 too many. Lenaway County had 102. Now, in talking with the Care Pregnancy Center this week, they said that, to their knowledge, there's no doctor in Lenaway County who performs abortions. Boy, that's praiseworthy. So these girls most likely have gone outside of the county. In Hillsdale, 37. In Monroe, 194. I always like to get a grasp of what's going around the county. Because the pregnancy care centers can reach those people as well. The Care Pregnancy Center in Adrian began in 1984. They're celebrating 30 years this fall. 
Last year, they had 106 girls receive a pregnancy test. Of those girls, 11 were either abortion-vulnerable or abortion-minded, and nine carried to term. Praise the Lord. What would be neat is to reach those 102 that thought abortion was their only option and went through it. They have a 3D and a 4D ultrasound. I said, oh, my word, that's cool. It can pick up the egg sac at six weeks and a strong heartbeat. 90% of the girls who are thinking abortions, their only option, see that, decide against it. We need to be supporting our centers in going this route. I know we worked at that just before I left in Geneva. We had an ultrasound machine. It's not cheap. You have to have a doctor that's willing to stick his neck out on the line who will write the orders for these girls to have pregnancy or uh, an ultrasound. You have to have a nurse manager. Those aren't cheap. But how much does one life cost? And not even thinking one life, that baby, but that girl. That girl. She needs to be loved. They offer support throughout the girl's pregnancy through classes. 5,553 items from their boutique were distributed last year. Diapers, baby clothes, formula. They had a total of 796 clients come through their doors. 796 opportunities to share Christ. They have 18 volunteers and are looking for more. Now, in closing my part, I want to leave a verse with you. Ezekiel 22.30, it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Isn't that sad? Is God looking here in Michigan, looking for, for us to stand in that gap, and he can't find anybody? I know we work, but I'm sure there's something we can do, even as a church to support this center. And in that way, we've influenced some of these women to change their mind. Thank you for listening to my heart. Thanks, sweetie. I'd just like to briefly, very briefly, wrap it up with uh, just some biblical perspective on what uh, Hope has shared. 
Many of you are no doubt very familiar with the Old Testament account of Joseph having been sold to Egypt to Midianite traders and how Joseph in Egypt became very successful because he followed the Lord his God with all his heart. He served as a, as a servant, an employee of Potiphar, who was a captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. And with him, he had a great testimony and a great reputation. Then we know the rest of the story, how he was imprisoned and how God spared him and brought him out and how God used Joseph to save many, many people. Well, following the life of Joseph, we read in the book of Exodus that uh, a new king came to power in Egypt. And the Bible tells us that he was a king who did not know Joseph. And as a result, he did not know about Joseph's God. And as the Israelites began to really populate and their number began to increase in Egypt, the king set a decree that every male child was to die when he was born. And God, in his sovereign plan, raised up uh, midwives who were godly women and who refused to kill these uh, Israelite babies as they were born. And then you know the story about how uh, Moses, when he was born, was placed in a basket on the river and how God, in his sovereignty, saw that the queen was coming along the bulrushes and the river and heard a little baby crying, which was Moses, and how he was brought up and spared. His life was spared. You ever thought about what might have happened if Moses had been aborted? Or if he had been killed shortly after his birth? Now, uh, as we discussed uh, the sovereignty of God to an extent this morning in Sunday school, and by the way, if you don't come, I encourage you to come. Uh, Keith's doing a great job in Sunday school. I encourage you to come. And I believe with all my heart that whether Moses had been aborted or had died shortly after his death, God would have in some way uh, rescued his people from, from Egypt. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that the Old Testament and even the Bible would look very, very different. And the story, the account in the Word of God would have been very, very different if Moses had been aborted or if he had been killed shortly after his birth. Not only would we see a difference in the Old Testament, but we would see a difference in the New because Jesus quoted a lot from the Old Testament and from the events in the Old Testament. Well, what if over 54 million babies that have been aborted in our nation since Roe versus Wade decision by the Supreme Court in 1973 had lived? How different would our nation be? How different would our world be? How different would our lives be if there were 54 million more children 
living. How different would it have been for us as a nation with those children? How different would it have been for the adults, both the ladies as well as the men involved in that? So a a good question for us to ask, I believe, is what does the Bible, what does God's Word have to say about the sanctity of human life? Does it have anything to say about the sanctity of human life? Well, uh, let me just remind us of, of a couple verses in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And beginning in Genesis 1.24, we have that which God created on the sixth day. And then we read this in verses 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter 2, verse 7, we read these words. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Life is a gift from God. And God makes that very clear. All life, we see here, of all creation, but human beings, every human being, life is a gift from God. And we see that these verses and many others throughout the Word of God teach that. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ also taught in the New Testament that human life is valuable. In first century Uh, society in which Jesus lived, there was little regard for human life. The Roman Empire, millions of people lived as slaves. Thousands flocked to the Roman Colosseum to see gladiators fight one another to the death. Infants were commonly killed or abandoned at birth. And something we may not know, abortion was widespread in the first century. Abortion was rampant throughout the Roman Empire. And it was to this society that Jesus stated these words, words that we know very well. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus stated those words in a society that had no value, put no worth on human life. And yet Jesus Christ categorically declared, God loves the world in such a way that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. As we look at the world in which we live, and more specifically our nation, these United States, we can readily, readily observe that we have a number of issues, many issues, facing us and our society. Just a few. Alcoholism, drug abuse, gambling, immorality, murder, terrorism, violence, and the focus of attention this morning, abortion. The list goes on and on. And as critical And as important as these different issues are, there is one issue 
that stands above all. And that real issue is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 26. Don't turn there because I'm just going to give you a real brief recap of it. In Leviticus 26, we have tucked away in this book and in this chapter what I believe we could call the if-but principle. The if-but principle. In Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 through 3, God promises, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, I will give you rains in their season. I shall also grant peace in the land. I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make my dwelling among you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. And then in the following verses, God declares, But if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, then you will, and he says, you will experience defeat, desolation, disease, famine, and even cannibalism. So the if-but principle is this. If you walk in my ways, you will be blessed. But if you don't, there will be all these things that will come into your lives individually and as a nation. God declares that to his Old Testament people. But God, amazing grace. I love the songs we sang this morning. Grace alone. God moves on from there. And, and don't you just love that about God? He says, if you do this and that and the other, you will be blessed. But if you do this and that and the other, you will not be blessed. You will suffer a lot of calamity in your lives and in your nation. But then he says this. If you confess your iniquity, I will remember my covenant with you. He says that in the very same chapter, in the, in the following verses. So God says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. But if you do this, there will be trouble. But you know, folks, I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of mercy. And there's a verse in the Old Testament uh, book of uh, Amos, I believe. I, I will restore to you, Joel, Joel or Amos, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. God is a God of grace. You know, we've all made bad choices. I don't, there's not one person in this, in this auditorium this morning, and not necessarily all related to abortion, don't get me wrong, but we've all made bad choices in our lifetime. And God says, in my grace and in my mercy, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. If you do this, you'll be blessed. But if you do this, there will be trouble. But remember, I'm a God of mercy. And I'll restore you. And I believe God can restore us individually. And I believe he can restore us as a nation. I am not a fatalist. And as long as God is God, there is hope for our country. Amen? Amen. But we need to do it on his terms. You, we've all seen the signs, God bless America, God bless America. They sing it at ball games, and, and it's all over the place. I saw a guy in Niagara Falls one day. You know what he had on his shirt? America bless God. That's what it is. We need to turn to God. And in the words of 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, I understand that this is a promise that God made to his Old Testament people, the Israelites. I understand that. But I believe there's an application for us as well. When we meet God on his terms, he will bless us. He says that. If you do this, you'll be blessed. But if you do this, there'll be trouble. But I'm a God of mercy. I'll restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And I will bless you individually. I will bless you as a couple. I will bless you as a family. I will bless you as a nation if we meet God on his terms. So, yeah, there are, there are a lot of issues facing us today. And I, sometimes I look at the news and, and I just think, Lord, how can this be? How can these people who are seemingly so intelligent make such bad choices and decisions that affect us? How can that be? I don't know. But I know this. If we walk in his ways, we'll be blessed. But if we don't, we'll face it. But God's the God of mercy. So let's really embrace this individually. Let's embrace this as a church family and pray pray for our country. Don't raise your hands. How many of you pray, how many of us pray for our president every day? I have to admit, I look at it sometimes and I get so angry. I find it difficult to pray. But God tells us to pray. I don't care if we're Democrat, Republican, Independent, or whatever other parties there may be. That makes no difference. God tells us to pray. And when we obey his word, when we pray for our government leaders, if we were to pray, I identify with this, if we were to pray as much as we might be prone to complain, boy, there'd be a lot of prayers going up to heaven. One day I went into a service station back in Geneva. And I walked in, and I heard this guy just cussing, swearing, going on. And, and it was all about whoever president was at that time. I don't even remember. And I recognized the voice. Hmm. I didn't see him. I recognized the voice. It was a guy who came to our church all the time. I couldn't believe it. I wanted to make sure he saw me. I walked around the corner. There he was, drinking a cup of coffee. I said, hi, Don. How you doing? He got as red as a beet. And I said to him, something I've said to people when I volunteered at the fire department. Same thing happened there one day. I walked around the truck, and there was a guy. He turned as red as the fire truck. And I said to him, I said, Kevin, you know, it matters not if you see me or if I'm here or not. God heard every word that just came out of your mouth. Now, going back to the service station. When I walked around the corner, the guy turned red as a beat. I looked at him. I said, Don, if you would pray for your president as much as you complain about him, maybe we'd have a different president. It's true, isn't it? 
We can find fault. And you can find fault with your pastor. When you're prone to find fault with him, pray for him instead. Okay? That's for us and that's for down the road too. All right, what can we do now? Making it personal, let's drive it home. This is in your insert if you want to look at it. We must, in the words of 2 Chronicles 7, 14, first of all, humbly bow before the one and only true and living God. That's what 2 Chronicles tells us. Earnestly pray to the one and only true and living God. Sincerely seek the face of the one and only true and living God. And genuinely turn from our wicked ways of disobedience and rebellion. That's what 2 Chronicles 7.14 tells us to do. And then, in the words of 2 Chronicles 7.14, God promises he will hear our prayer, he will forgive our sin, he will heal our land. Isn't that what we want? Yes, it is. It's what we want. Now, what about specific things we can do? Tomorrow there's a march for life. And I know that all of you will not be able to make it. You work. You're, you're not a pastor. You work. Well, Hope and I are going to go. We, we, we didn't go last year. We, we, I'm not going to make excuses. I don't know why we didn't go last year. We were relatively new on the block, didn't know much at all. But anyway, we're going this year because I don't have to work. But you know, if you are able to be there, I want to encourage you to be there, okay? Be there. That's one thing you can do. And you know the bulletin said, if you have any questions, ask Kathy. So during the break, I went to Kathy. I said, Kathy, what kind of cookies are you going to serve? She couldn't answer me. But you know, all kidding aside, that's something perhaps we can do, okay? And Hope asked uh, the lady at the uh, Care Pregnancy Center here in Lenaway County if they did a baby bottle drive, and they do. I'll tell you, you know, all the banquets and all the different things that I saw Hope just run ragged, taken care of. The baby bottle drive is such a neat thing. You know what they do? They'll contact us, or we'll contact them if they don't and say, we would like so many baby bottles. So, you know, maybe they'll bring 35, 40, whatever we feel we might need. They bring them on Mother's Day, I think, right, Hope? And they bring them here, everybody grabs a baby bottle, and you know what you do? You put loose change in. And then on Father's Day, after Father's Day, they collect them. That was the biggest fundraiser for the Pregnancy Care Center back in, in New York State. And it's the easiest one. And it's easy for, for us because we, we always get change, right? If we go get a cup of coffee, well, we often get change, you, unless you use your debit card. <laughs> so uh, we, we can get change, you know, and, and that change, hey, instead of at the end of the day putting it in the piggy bank or whatever, put it in the baby bottle. You know what? If you fill the baby bottle with quarters, it's $50. And you're not even going to fill it or feel it. You won't feel it. $50. Imagine multiplying that by 40 bottles here. That's a good amount of money. That'll help them carry on their ministry. 
And so that's something else we can do. And we can pray. And to share the verse, and this, with this we close, share the verse that Hope mentioned, stand in the gap. That's how we can stand in the gap. God looks. He looks for men, he looks for women, he looks for his followers to stand in the gap. And back when he wrote that through Ezekiel, he couldn't find one, not one, the Bible says. Well, let's fill that gap for what God desires to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what's been shared this morning, really impressing on our hearts how we can put shoe leather to what we've heard this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, Praises.